Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Simon Dudley, Chief Contrarian for Accession Events. To learn more and for information about the book and other resources, please go to accessionevents.com. This week's Future Trends is a recording of the presentation I gave as part of the Future Trends track at Infocom 2016. A copy of the slides is available either by sending me an email to sdudley at accessionevents.com and I'd happily send you the keynote or the PowerPoint version. And it's also available on SlideShare. So do hope you enjoy the show and I'd love some feedback. Future Trends is often a technology showcase and what we're going to do almost all of today, except for the first presentation, which is me, we'll be talking about technologies. One of the things that I want to talk about instead is business models, because business models are often at least as disruptive as new technologies. Now, new technologies enable you to have new business models, but if you have a new technology and an old business model, you can be in serious trouble. And so I wanted to talk about that in some detail today. So I define an accession event, for those of you who've uh, heard me before, as a, an event in which the success criteria in a market change. Right, they happen all the time. Most businesses experience these things once because it normally destroys them. Some companies make it, others don't. You know, taxi firms are being destroyed by Uber. Um, Southwest Airlines just decided that smiling at their uh, customers and not treating them like boxes was a fantastically successful business model change and they didn't even change the technology. Uh, Nokia was patently one of those companies that never understood that having a great phone didn't matter when no one wanted a phone anymore. WordPerfect, if anyone remembers WordPerfect, they know they get great word processors right to the point where professional typists no longer did the typing for them and the Microsoft changed the rules. So the IT industry generally is looking right down the barrel of the biggest disruption ever. The business models are changing and I want to talk about that in some detail today. The success criteria to even be a reseller or a manufacturer or a distributor in this market has changed to the point where we need to change the way that we look at our businesses. The status quo is no longer a winning strategy, in fact, it's a losing one. So let's talk about truth. The problem with truth is that it has this nasty habit of changing on us. We all think that truth is in some way incontrovertible, it's always the same set of facts, and we make those decisions on those same set of facts. But actually, that isn't true. What truth is changes. As an example, how many planets are there in the solar system today? Is it eight? Nine? Well, it's funny, isn't it? It seems that there's eight planets, because Pluto's been taken out of the listing, but now there's planet X, which means the tenth planet, which I haven't actually found, but it's in an orbit somewhere. Um, what causes stomach ulcers? Lots of people change their lifestyle because of stomach ulcers. They don't eat spicy food, they cut down on the alcohol, but actually uh, stomach ulcers are caused by a bacteria that can be, can be solved with or cured with antibiotics. So people have changed their lives for 30 years, even though that's been true for 30 years that we've known that you can, you can get rid of stomach ulcers with antibiotics. 
And dinosaurs, of course, perfect example. Even the latest Jurassic Park has dinosaurs that are reptilian in skin, although all the evidence now suggests they were covered in feathers. All this stuff happens in our businesses as well, but the facts aren't changed. So let's talk about the six things that have changed in the last few years in the IT, AV, UC, whatever two-letter acronym you, you feel your business is in. The cloud. The cloud has changed everything. Even if you're an AV room builder, the cloud has changed everything, no question. The cost of everything is trending to zero. Uh, the projector I'm using today is a very special, one-of-a-kind hot rod projector. And the cost of that technology is coming down all the time. It's coming down for everything all the time. We can all lament it, but it's also a reality that those changes are going to affect all of our businesses. You can't make 30 points margin on a device which goes from, like hard disk have, from 70 meg, sorry, $70 a megabyte to 0.0001 cent over 30 years, you run out of time. The other problem is, is that all of our customers now are global and all of our competitors are global. The idea that we can turn around and say, I am a reseller in Austin, Texas, and I, obviously I'm from Austin, Texas, and I'm sure you can tell. And in Austin, Texas, I say, I'm a reseller to the Austin, Texas market, but my competitors can be anywhere now, and so can my clients, and that changes the dynamic of businesses. This is an important one. 60% of the sales cycle happens before your sales organization even knows the client exists. In fact, 60% is the lowest number that you get to. Uh, I've seen anything between 60 and 90%. So I use 60 because it's the one that people can argue with least. And it's kind of irrelevant but it, in the sense of the percentage, but it is important in the way that the sales cycle now works. The other thing is the clients are changing. Right, traditionally, we sold to IT managers. Now we're selling to people in business units. And they speak a very different language to the IT people. And then lastly, one of the big problems with all of this technology is you cannot outwork the problem. Right, I've, been in, I've been a sales guy and in engineering and in marketing and all these different roles. And almost every sales organization I've ever worked for says, we'll sweat the sales department by another 10% more next year. Well, that's not good enough. If we're gonna be effective, we need to be far more than 10% more efficient every year. And you can't do that, right? You, you run out of hours in the day very quickly. That isn't the sound effect of my presentation. So other than all of these six big changes, it's business as usual then. Everything's the same as it was for the last 10 years. Well, it isn't, and we're going to have to start making some radical decisions about how businesses are put together. And the rest of the presentation is to talk about what we can do in that arena. So sales strategy needs to change. Traditionally, we, most organizations had a sales strategy of find a customer, not the customer find them, but find a customer, sell them a big box or a big room integration or some technology for a fairly large amount of money, make a good margin on it, move on to the next one. The, the wombat sales process, the eats, roots and leaves. 
Today, because of the way that cloud technologies are changing the way that clients consume the technologies, we now need to look for much deeper relationships than we've ever had before. One of the things that, certainly as a sales guy I found, and as a marketeer for the last five years, is that most organizations have this dogs and cats living together relationship between the sales and the marketing department. For most of my career, sales departments had the upper hand over marketing so they made all the money. And all marketing did was spend it and half of it they wasted. Today, marketing has got the upper hand due to things like CRM and they can tell you to the nearest cent how much every lead costs. And most sales organizations haven't kept up with that fundamental change in the way that the business is run and so they're on the back foot today. But I would argue that sales and marketing really need to merge because today the idea of you finding clients is going away. Clients need to find you now. How many of us have a spam filter that means anyone we really don't know well or anything that says subscribe or unsubscribe automatically goes to an email box we never read? How many of us pick up the phone when we don't know the phone number of the person who's ringing us? We've, we've become very immune to be contacted by people we don't know. And if you're doing it, of course all your potential clients are doing it as well. So one of the things that we need to do, and this is something that I, in my day-to-day -day work, specialise in, is getting the idea of what your organisation does out to the world. It strikes me that some manufacturers do it, but very few resellers or distributors or even manufacturers for that matter do a very good job of it. You need to be out in the world so that when clients are looking for a solution to a problem or even beginning to get the idea of solving a business problem, they find you. And they'll ring you at that point. And you can frame the question. And if you can frame the question, you can do a much better job of making certain that what the answer looks like is what you happen to sell. Now, how many of us, this seems to be a uniquely American experience, almost every town has some guy who does crazy adverts on the radio or on late night television selling mattresses or cars. Those people are known to everyone in the community. Whether they sell better cars than anyone else is irrelevant, but they're known to the community. And I'm not suggesting you want to be that guy who's handcuffed to a bed screaming, Dave's gone mad, buy your bed from him. But there is that sense that you at least know that Dave has this stuff. Many people don't get involved in these things. They think that, that the whole idea of sending out your story to the world is something that millennials do. It isn't, or it shouldn't be. Here's another one. Another thing that companies do is that they get all this data and they get something that's really useful and they hide it and they sit there behind a, a big firewall and they say, we've got a white paper on how to build a better AV room or about 4K displays or about unified communications or whatever technology it is. And then if you tell us your name, address, inside leg measurement, how much money you've got to spend, uh, how many employees, uh, a purchase order number, and you know, your credit card information, we will send you this white paper for nothing. And every client in the world says, no, no I'll go somewhere else. I've got this thing called Google, and I'll get the information from someone else. Now, Seth Godin said it best. 
the man who has one idea and writes a book about it every 10 minutes. His idea is to give it away. Become the subject matter expert in that technology or in that way of doing business. You've got to build trust with these clients. And the best way of doing that is not to try and find them, but to have them find you. Now here's the other thing that we all do. Every company I know does this. They write on their website, we're really good. We're really good. You should buy stuff from us. We're great. And you know what people don't do? They don't believe you. It's funny, how many of us here buy stuff from Amazon in our personal lives? Go have a show of hands. Okay, so almost everybody. If you go to Amazon and there's this new super duper thing, Lawn Edges was my recent purchase. Did I care what the manufacturer said? No, scrolled straight past it. I went and listened to what people said that I'd never met, who I had no idea what their interest in the technology was of lawn edging as a technology. It wasn't relevant, but I felt that they would be impartial. And as a result, I listened to what they had to say. Now, what most companies don't do is go, oh, well, they say, so they go, well, I don't want to be on Amazon. You don't need to be. But do you have the capability for your clients to say nice things about you? If you don't have a forum for which they're capable of saying nice things, then you're going to be in trouble. It's interesting that many companies, most manufacturers do this, they say, oh, we'll do, a, um, we'll do a testimonial video. And most clients immediately reject those because they assume that the person on camera is the brother-in-law of the sales rep. So if you allow people to say things in an uncensored way, and you're actually quite good at what you do, and I'm sure you all are, because you come to future trends, then you're going to get good scores, and that's the way that people will be able to find you. I know that Future Trends is typically all about the technology, and I know that the next, uh, Gary in the next presentation is going to show you all the latest technology, assuming you can see it at the back. Um, the other thing is, I'm amazed still how many people are not active in the social media world. You don't need to be in all of it. LinkedIn is certainly the most important. It's amazing how many people continue to be in the witness protection program in LinkedIn. They're all sitting there with a little gray outline, seven friends. You've got to be out there, people. It matters. Remember, because you're not finding clients anymore, they're finding you. Think of it like the fish jumping in the boat. It's a very different process than sticking a, a rod and reel out the side. So I've written fairly extensively about this, but I want you to go away when you're asking these clients for the five-star effect or for some quotes. Ask them these three questions. This is all about building the thousand true fans idea. Ask three questions. What do they love? What do they hate? What would they change? You see, one of the things that most clients, most companies do is they go, oh, our clients like us. Well, it's very obvious in the modern world that like is really not very useful. Anybody who's ever been divorced knows that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And millions of people buy Toyotas and they're an absolute fine car. But very few people are passionate about them. But if they have an Alfa Romeo, which is a far inferior car in any meaningful way to a Toyota, people are passionate about those things. 
I mean, they often hate them as they're sitting at the side of the road with oil pouring out the bottom of them, but they have a relationship with those things. And many companies will turn around and say, oh, yeah, but that, that applies to Apple. That applies to Tesla or to Caddy. It doesn't apply to me. Well, I can tell you now, it can apply to anybody. Out of interest, who here has heard of Yeti coolers? Oh, a lot more than I thought. Okay, good, good. So, Yeti coolers is, is the most amazing phenomenon. They've come out of Texas, for those of you who don't know. A normal cooler, a 50-can cooler, costs you maybe $50, $60. A Yeti cooler will cost you $400. People are obsessed with these things. It's a plastic box that keeps drinks cool. Let's keep it in perspective. There are people who will go to their grave telling you how wonderful Yeti are. They'll charge you $50 for a coffee cooler, or warmer, or insulator. It's amazing. So you don't need to be these incredible, super-duper Apple-like organizations to have people who are truly passionate about you. And they are your shock troops. The best salesperson in the world is a happy customer. It's a well-known fact. So how come so few businesses use it? It, try, it truly drives me crazy that organisations are sitting on these resources. Clients are often desperate to tell other people how great you are. Give them a forum to do it. It's interesting, in the AV world, I would argue that Crestron and AMX, and I've lived on the fringes of that world for 20 years, they seem to have um, rabid fanboys. There's lots of people who will turn around to you and say, Crestron's the best thing in the world. And other people turn around to you and say, AMX is the best thing in the world. And how dare you consider the other guys are even remotely good. And as an outsider, I look at it and go to touch panel. I can't tell the difference. About a third of the room probably wants to now lynch me for not understanding the difference. So you can do this too. Who knows who this lady is? It's Susan Boyle. Now, Susan Boyle is many things, and many of them are on that 40-foot display right now. What she's not is a 25-year-old blonde pretty girl. She's um, unique. She sold 12 million albums, and everyone knows who she is. Has she got the best singing voice in the world? No. Is she the greatest entertainer ever? No. Is she the easiest on the eye? No, depending on your proclivities, right? Nothing against the lady, very successful. She's unique. And what matters today is unique trumps everything. That's why Yeti is so successful, because no one else makes a $400 cooler. Funnily enough, no one knew they needed a $400 cooler until Yeti created one, but they can't make them fast enough. So think about what you can do with that. You don't need to be Christine Aguilera. Susan Boyle hasn't sold as many albums, but she's probably richer than most of us. She's richer than me. I can tell that because I wouldn't be here if I was as rich as her. I'd be an island somewhere. So I have a, if you're interested, I have a, a document about a thousand true fans. And if you go to my website below, there's a little six second survey just say, give me a score, and more importantly, tell me your email address, I'll send you a copy of the, of the Thousand True Fans. It's a fairly involved document, so I can't go through it all here. But I can tell you now, 
the way of selling things is changing, and most of us need a sales organization that is ultimately the perfect sales organization. It's free, it's motivated, and other clients believe them. That's very powerful, we should use it. The other organization that we need to talk about is the way that sales is changing. Sales and support have had very different roles. Salespeople come in, they fire the, they fire the uh, shell, the client says yes, they leave the deal, they walk away. Well, in a world of big single deals, that works quite well. But in a world where you're selling services rather than boxes, that is not necessarily, or not at all really, the right strategy, because you're constantly reselling. And that's going to change the role of sales very dramatically. Don't you love it when it, nothing happens and then three slides go? So, this little fella is a deep sea octopus. He has a life expectancy of between three and five years. Little fact for you, if you learn nothing else today, learn this. The longest lived octopus in the world live about five years. Do you know what the life, do you know what the similarity between that little octopus and your sales organization is? Your sales organization has a life expectancy of less than half that guy's life expectancy. An average salesperson in an organization presently lives 22 months for a company. Management, 19 months. Now the reality is, is that what you end up with is one productive year out of those people. They join the company, it takes them six months to ramp up, they do a productive year, and then they're spending the next four months working out how to get out of the company, or the company's working out how to get rid of them. Because if they're highly successful, you up the target, and if they're not very successful, you're working on the principle of removing them from the business. This has got to change. You see, in a, in a world in which you've got $100,000 deals and you can get a sales guy to do anywhere between six and 12 of them in one year, well, that makes sense. But if this salesperson is not selling $100,000 solutions, but is selling cloud-based solutions with some technology around it, and therefore the client is effectively renting it, then that changes the dynamic pretty, uh, pretty subtly, because he needs to hang around for a long time. Now, one of the problems is this relationship here is typically the relationship between owners of businesses or management of businesses and their sales organization. Right? It's contentious for a while. The sales guy comes on board, he makes you a bit of money, you start raising the targets because he's out earning senior management within the business and that can't happen. He gets upset, he leaves. Cycle happens again. That's why when you go to LinkedIn, you see so many thousands of salespeople with two years at 10 different companies. If you're gonna change the way that you do business, then that dynamic has to change. It's not gonna work in a cloud-based business, partly because the amount of profit made in that 12 months isn't gonna be enough, and secondly, clients are gonna want long-term relationships. So one of the things that sales has always ultimately been paid to do 
is to pay at the point of persuasion. This is a big topic. I, don't go, I won't go into all of it now. But what really matters is you've got to be at the point where the customer's either going to buy or not buy. That's where sales needs to live. If they're not living there, then they're doing some other job that isn't sales. They're doing account management or support or marketing. Now, the best model I can come up with, because I think we could all agree that the one that we all live in today isn't a very good one, the best one I can come up with today is that of the insurance industry. Insurance salesmen typically have long careers, and with the relationships we're going to end up having with clients moving forward, we're going to need to have long relationships. So let's talk about salespeople. Salespeople need to change in the cloud world, in a services-based business. And whether you say, but my business is all hardware, doing room installations, I don't have any services, I suspect you will, because even if they're only a component, they end up being a pretty significant component and it will become bigger over time. So salespeople are typically best described as gunslingers. In fact, most good salespeople I know quite revel in that concept. Now, let's talk about gunslingers. Gunslingers are special people with a special set of skills, but they're not generally very loyal. You keep paying them until the point where you don't pay them anymore, and then they go off and shoot someone for someone else. They're generally terrible managers, because after all, gunslingers are by their nature pretty selfish. And most organizations have some trust issues with a salesperson. Because after all, they all think they're going to move off to their competitor in two years anyway. The other problem with gunslingers is things like CRM and all the other technologies that allow you to build a big customer base is something these people don't ever want to give you. Because they see that as stealing their special source. And then lastly, of course, gunslingers have one gun. One weapon, the Colt 45. If it doesn't work with the gun, they've really got no other plan. So I would suggest that what we need to do is look at a different way of doing business, a different kind of salesperson. Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs are fundamentally different. They are normal people who have been trained extremely well. They are capable of using any weapon from a paring knife to an aircraft carrier. They work in a hierarchical environment in which the best guys can rely on others. They're brilliant team members and they have long lifespans. The world is going to need to move to Navy SEALs. Now many of us would turn around and go, yeah, but Navy SEALs are hard to find. Well, for those of us who watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, we all know that they lost at the rifles of the Colombian army, and they most certainly were not Navy SEALs. Colombia doesn't have an ocean for a start. So a disciplined, well-put-together organization can beat the gunslingers, and it's definitely something that we need to consider. Oh, I love a remote like this one. It's got to go through every single slide in like 10 seconds. Come on. 
Can you hear my pulse? Because I can. One moment, caller. Guys. Guys. I've got those slides. Can you uh, give me my next slide, please? Did I go to the slide? Yes, you did. Don't look. Oh, come on. Well, that was the award done. Apparently they were doing a software update out the back. Don't you just love that? The other thing to consider, and clients don't understand this, but we don't either. If the product's free, you're the product. It's a very simple idea. Most people don't seem to understand it. Now, one of the things that many of us don't do is have products that turn our clients into products. We should consider those. Good, fast, cheap matters too. One of the things that I would strongly recommend, and I've done this myself, is you sit there with a client and you say, okay, you want this, you want this product. You want it good and you want it fast and you want it cheap. Pick two. In fact, my recommendation would be that every project you sit with a client with, you literally draw the triangle as the front page of the documentation. And you tell them, you draw the triangle and you tell them to put a dot somewhere on it. And it's very useful to defining what the client actually wants. Many of them don't want it really cheap. They, they think they do, but they're not prepared to make up that compromise between the other two. That's particularly useful if you have a sales organisation who isn't a gunslinger, who hasn't got 20 years experience, who isn't trying to do a special deal before moving on to the next company to sell the, the same customer at the same thing in three years as the replacement. It's certainly something worth considering. So let's talk about business models. Business models really matter. Right? I wrote recently on LinkedIn about the show and said, you're going to look at thousands of new displays, lots and lots of new technologies, and it's going to be great. And you can have this whole, as I said in my article the other day, you can have this whole technogasm over how exciting all this technology is. But if it doesn't change the way that your clients do business, and you can't work out a business model in which you can make money selling it, it isn't an opportunity, it's a threat. So let's talk about some business models for a moment. And I want to give you something to think about before the rest of today and the rest of Infocom. So this is our old model, right? Manufacturer, hold on, I've got a laser that works on the wall but not on the screen, okay. Manufacturer in red makes a thing. Distribution take that thing, allowed, uh, have a warehouse and a bank account. Then they sell it to a reseller with a markup, who then sells that to an end user with a markup. Very standard, everybody does it. What's happening now because of things like cloud is that some manufacturers have decided, oh, I don't need distribution. There's no warehouse for this cloud-based offering. And distribution only offers warehousing space and credit terms. So if I'm selling a SaaS software solution, I'll sell it direct. And this whole idea of disintermediarization, which is easy for someone other than me to say, 
is something that many people are going to be awake at night thinking about. If you're not awake at night thinking about it, you perhaps should be. Many people would see that as a fundamental existential threat to the reseller community. So let me give you something other, another idea. So this is a better model. What you have is multiple manufacturers all produce a piece of the puzzle who then sell those bits of the puzzle to a distributor who packs it all together into an overall solution, who sells it to a reseller, who sells it to multiple clients. That makes more sense. You can't be replaced by a manufacturer who's trying to sell direct in that model because they can't be an expert in everything. And increasingly, clients are looking for solutions that are patted together solutions. They're not just one piece of the pie. Now, many people will say, well, distribution's meant to have done that forever. But let's be honest, distribution has probably spent most of the last 40 years having a big warehouse and credit terms. So distribution's going to need to change, and resellers are going to rely on those patted together solutions. But that's still not an entirely unreasonable or, or dissimilar experience to the one we have today. So let me give you another idea. If you have a SaaS solution or you have a, 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 you're, you're replacing a business technology with a business process, then you can get involved with clients at a different level. The other thing to consider is that over 35% and increasing percentage of IT budgets now are held by people outside of the IT industry and client sites. And as a result, those people are less interested in the technology and more interested in the service. And whether that service is a cloud-based solution with some technology that fits in their meeting rooms, or whether it's just stuff in the meeting room or just stuff in the cloud, they are looking for something that links together not just themselves, but everyone else in their supply chain. A well-positioned reseller should be in a great position to go and supply solutions to the entire supply chain. Now that has a couple of advantages. The first one is you've got a lot more clients. The second one is your clients are now selling on your behalf to their customers and suppliers, and they're more likely to be believed than you are. And thirdly, when competitors turn up and say, Client A over here, oh, well, we can replace that solution for you. They say, yeah, yeah, but we're part of an overall workflow, and we work with all these other people. Can you do that as well? Well, they're going to have to replace everyone simultaneously. You're much harder to dislodge from accounts as a result. I would strongly recommend that's an idea. So one of the problems you've got, your IT department, your sales department, is typically used to talking to certainly in our industry, the IT department, or the AV department. Increasingly, you're going to end up talking to marketing people, or you'll be talking to sales managers. If you don't speak their language and you start talking about our the latest, whatever, Okie Koki Mark 7 GTI product does this fantastic rescaling of a lala, they're going to stare at you like you're, you're my three-eyed friend here. No one's going to understand what you're talking about. Now, one of the things that most companies don't seem to do is understand that you can learn all this language, right? There is concrete monthly. You can learn all about the concrete industry if you choose to. So if you're not learning about markets or vertical markets, that's going to be a problem because you're going to be speaking in their terms. And because of the way the market changes, it's no longer a technology sale. It's far more 
of a solution one. Last thing to consider. Many companies, I've seen this, I've worked for them, have done this. They said, you're right, Boxy's a, a last year's solution, we're gonna go SaaS. And they burnt to the ground their existing business units. I would strongly recommend none of us do that. That's a terrible idea. Setting light to a boat that you're presently stood on is one of the dumbest business ideas I can ever think of, but businesses do it. But we also need to be aware, if we're gonna be successful in the next two, three, five, 10 years, we do need to address a new way of doing business. So I would strongly recommend that you keep both. And maybe you end up with two organizations under one umbrella that look different, act different, but still make you money. And you can transition from one to the other. This whole idea of just simply leaping into, the, into a SaaS world is um, uh, extremely brave. Uh, and I would strongly not recommend it. So let's look at some conclusions. Facts change. Clients change and the conversations you have with them change. Business models are changing. The only constant in life is change and the speed at which it's doing so is increasing all the time. We need to be more cognizant. We can't sit there and say, we'll do the same thing as we've always done and expect the same results. We will not get the same results. To be successful moving forward, we need to do different things. We need to have solutions that pack together multiple bits of technology and produce a, a, a number higher than simply the sum of the parts. We need to stitch together clients into supply chains. And we need to embrace our unique. So next year, I hope to see 250 Susan Boyles in the room, at least in our own industry. So I hope I've given you something to think about. If you'd like to uh, talk about it after the show, that would be fantastic, and I'm a big believer in it. And I know for future trends, it's often been this whole exciting idea of new technology, but new technology coupled with new business models is definitely the key to success. So with that, I'm gonna find Gary, who hopefully is mucking about with my uh, Bluetooth, and um, I appreciate your time, and I'll hand over to Gary. Thanks very much. Thank you.